hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we're talking about agriculture content creation with Hank and Gina Hamilton of Hamiltonville Farm and Maddie Buxton of YouTube. We also talk about a new book from legendary Johnny Cash drummer W.S. Fluke Holland, and we'll hear the music of incredible singer-songwriter Ali Colleen. You won't want to miss a moment of it. Let's go. Well, first up this week on the show, the creation of content centered around agriculture has become a big business. From podcasts and radio shows like this, to YouTube shows, to television programs, they educate, inform, and even entertain. My first two guests this week are part of that new wave of content creators. Hank and Gina Hamilton are the creators of the Hamiltonville Farm Show on YouTube, which has grown to about 65,000 followers and boasts individual videos that have been seen more than 2 million times. Hank and Gina, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thanks. Thanks, thanks a lot, Brent. We appreciate you having us, buddy. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to check these videos out, uh, what they do is they get in and fix up heavy equipment, including tractors, and, and give them new life. And, uh, and there's just a lot of demand for that kind of content out there. Yeah, we're doing, you know, we're doing really good with those type videos. And we think that uh, the, the target audience that we're catering to in our YouTube channel really likes that type of content and they really appreciate our kind of down to earth approach because we're, you know, I'm not a professional mechanic. And uh, so sometimes what we do is <laughs> not, it's not exactly right, you know? So uh, I think, and which makes for very good interactive content mm -hmm. for people to comments on our videos and things like that. And actually a lot of our viewers help me get better. So we appreciate that back and forth with the viewers. They're good about providing feedback, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, man. yeah, that's a fact. And most of the time, brutally honest as well. <laughs> You're definitely going to have thick skin to be a YouTuber for sure. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell me a bit about, take me back. Tell me how you got started into all of this. Yeah, for sure. So we, we started in 2018 is when we founded the channel. And so we moved to our property in Vernon, Florida uh, in 2016. And so when we moved up here, we retired. How we got to Vernon is we retired out of the Air Force, out of Herbert Field. And I did 20, almost 26 years in the Air Force. Well, during that time, we started, you know, getting close to retirement. And we said, well, we need to find a place to settle down. And both of us really liked the outdoors. Both of us liked doing outdoor things. And so we started looking for property. And we found a 75-acre piece of property up here that had a, uh, uh, already had a house on it. And so it was just something that we really, um, really liked as, as far as, yeah. yeah. And it had like a really old, like, large barn on it and so ding 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 I had the bright idea let's turn the barn into our house yeah so that's mm -hmm. and you know that was kind of how we created a big following on Instagram was through our barn home conversion but we got the barn converted and we moved in in August of 2018 and October of 2018 Hurricane Michael hit the panhandle category five hurricane yeah. and it just devastated our area and so uh, at the time I didn't have a tractor 
And so we went to, we ended up buying a tractor to do some land cleanup, property management. Yeah, we had a lot of down trees. Yeah, tons, tons of debris. <laughs> and so um, my buddy suggested, they was like, hey, you need to do a video of you kind of working on the tractor. And we made a video, th- threw it on YouTube, didn't know nothing about mm-hmm. how to throw the video on YouTube or how to post the video. And um, I got 150 subscribers that, all, that like in two days or three days. Wow. And I was like, and I think, yeah, it was pretty cool. I was like, I think I'm on to something. Uh, it was probably all of our yeah, I, You know, <laughs> now granted, 149 of these, right? But, uh, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. And so um, that's how we got started. And, and the rest is history, you know. We, so we started kind of researching best ways to post videos, how to, you know, YouTube actually has an algorithm that sends your, uh, your videos out to multiple audiences. And so we was like, hey, how can we – exploit this algorithm how can we take advantage of it to grow and grow fast and so we've been on youtube a year and a half now or a little over a year and a half and uh and we're doing really really good that's excellent so t- take me behind the scenes tell, tell me uh, a bit about what your process looks like when you when you find it well first of all how do you arrive on what kind of equipment that you want to focus on and then what do you do once you found it yeah, so that's a really good question, Brent. So a lot of times, we, my father-in-law, uh, I love him, but he's a hoarder. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's an equipment hoarder, right? Nice. And uh, which is good for me. Yeah. Uh, because uh, they they owned a land management company, and uh, so they had some backhoes, they had some uh, semi trucks, they had some road graders uh, sitting on their property. And, um, so I was like, man, I, I think I'd like to try to try my hand at, you know, video and this stuff or filming this stuff so that, uh, we can try to get them cranked because, uh, in our demographics, we seen that the cold start videos or the will it start videos was really, really popular for the same people that watch tractor videos. And so we found our, he had, my father-in-law had an old road grader and I said, what you got to do to get that thing cranked up? And he was like, man, it just needs a, you know, it, it ran when it parked is a, is the famous saying. But we ended up going to the road grader, putting a battery in it, checking some, you know, just some general things and, and ended up getting that thing cranked up and it's generated close to 2 million views already. Wow. And uh, as that video progressed, I said, you know, I think I looked at Gina and I was like, I think we're on to something mm-hmm. here. And, and so we just repeated that process of, will it start and uh you know as 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 you know the old saying go back to the honey hole as yes you, as sir you. that's right so yes sir and now, um you, he looked for other equipment on just you know different places facebook marketplace yeah. facebook I mean, marketplaces and so i found out that a lot of these guys i, I normally you know now that i've exhausted my father-in-law's uh, <laughs> uh automobile lot uh so uh, a lot of these guys on facebook marketplace are trying to sell their equipment and, and it doesn't run well a lot of times it just needs a little tlc you know and and so in exchange for a video I tell, I make a deal with the people. I say, Hey, if you let me video this, I'll put your phone number and try to help you sell it. Uh-huh. And uh, we don't, you know, we don't get paid or anything like that to try to help somebody sell it. But you know, it's, it's kind of like, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch mm-hmm. yours type sure. type relationship. So, and we've, we've, we've helped, we've helped a, a few people sell, sell equipment because they've seen videos on YouTube. 
Oh, that's, that's excellent. And I tell you what, these have been so popular that uh, YouTube was, uh, has named you creator of the month here recently. Yeah, so we did. We got Creator on the Rise is the uh, honor that we got from YouTube. And uh, so that means that we were featured on the trending tab or the, 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 yeah, the trending page yeah, of YouTube. Right, when you open YouTube. And uh, so we got, how many subscribers did we get? 5,000. Yeah, so, so uh, that overnight we got 5,000 mm -hmm. subscribers because of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we're averaging about 200 subscribers a day. And, uh, but I really think it's, you know, as far as our growth goes, I think it's because we're different. And yeah. how we're different is um, my channel, I got the privilege of having Gina as my camera woman. And so it gives the viewer a different viewer experience. They get to a different yeah. perspective, you know, because she can walk around, get different angles. She can walk, you know, get down close to the ground or up high. And we also have a drone. So sometimes yeah. I'll have the camera in one hand and the drone controls in the other. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that really helps produce a, a, a fun video to watch for the viewer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so I think that was important because a lot of guys that do the same thing I do, they have tripods and selfie sticks. And, sure. uh, and so it's, I think it's pretty neat that we give the viewer a different look at, how, at what we're doing. So what's on the horizon for you guys? Uh, that's a great question, you know, because we've got so much content. We've got, uh, I've got a trip planned to Tennessee and we're going to make four videos up there. We're, you know, like you said, we're out of Florida. Mm -hmm. So we're going to run up to Tennessee and we're going to film some Will It Start videos up there. And uh, I know it's like, holy cow, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go next? You know, uh, but we've got some videos planned there. We've got a partnership with uh, Branson Tractors. Uh, and so we're going to do some events for them. And, uh, and we've got, uh, we've actually, with, through Gina's great business mind, uh, <laughs> we, we've, we've now started a flower farm. And we're selling wholesale flowers to florists and things like that. And we're going to, now we're going to sit down and look, see how we can incorporate that content into our channel. That may be a separate channel unto itself, huh? Yeah, right. So, well, she was, she's definitely, you know, if you get married, be the ugly one, right? So, uh, <laughs> so you know, she's definitely would be the face of the, of the different channel. But yeah, that's what we've got going on. You know, we've got plans of, we, we produce about uh, a minimum of eight videos a month. We try to do two a week. And uh -huh. uh, so uh, if sometimes we'll do three if we're lucky, uh, but we don't, we're at the point, you know, as both being retired, we're at the point where we don't need to overwork ourselves, but we still need to keep the, we got to feed the machine, so to speak. Yeah. And that's constant. And, uh, you know, two a week doesn't sound like a lot, but that, that actually is a lot that, that keeps you constantly moving and, and there's a lot to do there. And these aren't, uh, amateur videos either. This stuff is, is great content. Yeah. And it takes, you know, it's weird because as we got into the YouTube game, I didn't realize how extensive a job editing is. Yeah. And so you spend, you know, for a, a 15 minute video, you're, you're working, you know, four to six hours filming it and then yeah. you're working four hours editing it you know yeah. and so it's uh it was it's quite the eye-opening experience <laughs> when you're like my goodness i'm working more than a, you know it's a lot of work he's retired <laughs> so, yeah. 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 The, the, the struggle yeah. is real as they say it is fine. It is but, fine. but if it's a labor of love and you get into doing right. it uh, that, that time yeah. goes by quickly yeah and we're still at the point where it's you know like i said it's been less than two years 
and we're still having fun with it. <laughs> and, uh, and it's weird because I told, I told Gina going down the, we, we travel a lot back and forth to Dothan to do our shopping and stuff since we're in a, such a small rural town. And <laughs> in Alabama, I'm sorry. Sure. And, uh, so as we go travel these back roads and all this, I thought, Ooh, I wonder if we can start that tractor. Ooh, I wonder if we can start that truck. You know, and she was like, how many other people are asking, you know, thinking like that driving down the road, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you've got a great niche there and, uh, uh folks want to check you out. Where do they go to check you out? We're uh, very active on all social media platforms. So our YouTube channel is Hamiltonville farm. And then our Facebook page and Instagram and same and Twitter is Hamiltonville Farm. So we've really kind of kept it. We got lucky we can keep it all the same. And uh, so our branding is Hamiltonville Farm. And I think that uh, I think we'll, we'll we should hit a hundred thousand subscribers in uh, this year. And I think that on our platform, on our Instagram and our Facebook and our Twitter, we'll probably go over ten thousand, twelve thousand pretty soon i think that's excellent stuff well i tell you what i appreciate you guys reaching out to us and sharing your story with us here and uh, we're going to keep tabs on you and uh, certainly you're welcome yeah. to come back here anytime and share what you have with us but uh hank and gina thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on fast line fast track yeah absolutely we, yeah we love we we really enjoy your podcast so uh you know for us to be able to have the opportunity to come on it is uh is is really uh, quite the honor for us because we we like what you do and we think that uh we wish you much success in the future oh well, we sure appreciate that make sure y'all go check them out hamiltonville farm on youtube go subscribe to that thing and then get on social media and share it with all your friends so they can check it out too well next up on fast line fast track over the past couple years youtube has seen such an increase in traffic on agriculture related videos that it put employee maddie buxton on the case to do a bit of detective work to figure out what was driving the high engagement and learn about the processes of those creating ag content on the platform Earlier this year, I had a chance to catch up with her to learn more about the work she's doing. Maddie, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So Maddie's got one of the coolest jobs I've heard here. She was assigned by YouTube to start looking at the growing niche of content creators in agriculture. Tell us about how that all got going and what you found out throughout your research. Yeah, so I'm YouTube's Culture and Trends Manager for the U.S. and Canada, and my team studies popular videos and tries to figure out why they're popular. And one of the places where we see a lot of trends beginning to start is through our Creator on the Rise program, which identifies emerging creators around the world. And we started to see a ton of farmers in all different markets. So everywhere from Indonesia to Canada to France to the US. Um, and what we've seen is a huge range. There's young farming creators, there are older farming creators. Um, we have first-time farmers, we have multi-generational farmers, so it really runs the gamut. But I think what's so interesting with this group is that they're taking something that you might not necessarily see in uh, mainstream entertainment. You might not see a farmer from Indonesia leading you on a tour of his crops, but you're getting to see that through YouTube. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the beautiful things we were just talking a little bit ago here on the show with Zach Johnson with Millennial Farmer and to watch where he's gone since 2016 and the power of organic creation that this guy's had and the reach that he's had and then watching people come through this booth where we're at and seeing little kids looking up to him like he's a rock star that just really demonstrates to me the power that this content has to inspire people within this niche. Yeah, Zach's become a huge celebrity within the farming community. And I think one of the reasons that his videos resonate so much is that he's speaking to the viewer directly. He's really creating this one-on-one connection with you when you're watching his vlogs. And he's infusing a lot of educational content with really entertaining his personality, um, really sings, and, and so... So you get both of those elements. Well, and this is really important because I know we were at the American Farm Bureau Federation convention in Austin last month, and one of the big focuses and one of the breakouts was we've got to be able to tell our story. And what better platform to be able to tell it than YouTube, which has such a tremendous following worldwide. Yeah, and one of the things that I love that Zach has done that a lot of a bunch of other farming creators have also started doing is going to tour each other's farms. And so going to see different, um, different crops that they might not be working on themselves, but that other farming creators are working on. And it's really created this whole community where they're collaborating with each other and exposing audiences to things that they wouldn't see otherwise. So when you started your research, did you have any preconceived notions or any any thesis or, you know, if so, what, what did you, was, was it lived up to or what did you find? I didn't have any preconceived notions. I think Part of it was I was going in so blind. I was so unfamiliar with this content myself, which I think is true of a lot of audiences that aren't in the farming community. You're not exposed to these sorts of things. And I think that's what's so powerful about this content is that it's not only dispelling certain stereotypes that people might have, but it's also exposing them to a whole new world that they wouldn't have otherwise come into contact with. Uh What else did you learn through your research that was interesting? Um, Let's see. One of the most interesting things I thought was I talked with some first-time farmers who um, were raising a lot of livestock. And one of the things that was so interesting was that um, there was a family that was raising uh, peacocks and another family that was raising emus. And they found that a lot of their viewership for the peacock videos was coming from India. And a lot of the viewership for the emu videos was coming from Australia. And part of that was that I think it is peacocks in India are a sacred animal. And so you don't see people interacting with them. And so viewers were really interested to see what that kind of human interaction is like. And so it just goes to show that, you know, you have these global audiences who are tuning into your content and they wouldn't otherwise be interacting with with your farm. That's beautiful. It brings the world together, doesn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. So if folks are listening to this and they've had some idea of maybe not becoming a uh, social media superstar, but just getting out there and playing around and pulling back the curtain on their farming operation or they feel like they've got a story to tell, what steps should they take? Definitely. So if you go to creatoracademy.youtube.com, there are a bunch of tips on getting started. So I'd say going there and then also going and watching some of these channels, going and watching Zach Johnson's Millennial Farmer, um, watching Walker Farms, uh, and seeing, seeing what they've done and how their channels have evolved over time is just a great, a great um, study. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us and for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. 
Well, next week on the program, we'll have another content creator on the show who's taking the ag world by storm, Corn Warriors creator and producer Seth Wood, who's preparing for the launch of season four of that show on Amazon Prime, RFD TV, and Carbon TV. So I hope you'll come back for that. Well, if you've spent any time around our program, you know how much we love true traditional country music and the stories behind it. And now it's a treat for me to welcome into the program Ron Haney, who's the manager and music director for the W.S. Holland Band. Of course, W.S. Fluke Holland is a legendary drummer for Johnny Cash. You remember him with the Tennessee Three and also provided the rhythm for the Million Dollar Quartet featuring Johnny Cash, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins. Well, Ron helped W.S. get his recollections of his days working with Johnny Cash down on paper for a new book, which was released last week called Behind the Man in Black, the W.S. Holland Story. It's a fascinating journey and an easy read, and we'll tell you a bit later on where you can find a copy of it for yourself. But Ron, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you, Brent. It's an honor to be here, sir. Well, I tell you what, uh, W.S. was scheduled to join us for this taping, but had a last-minute conflict arise, so he couldn't be here. Uh, but we hope to have him on the show soon to personally share some of these recollections, and we hope that we can make that happen because he's truly, truly an important figure in contemporary music history, not just country music, but in all genres. So first of all, to set the table for this discussion, uh, tell us a bit about your relationship with WS. When when did you guys meet and how did that relationship evolve over time? Well, Brent, I've known about WS, of course, for many, many years. And uh, I've been a musician since I was 13 and I'm 69 now. So that's that's probably 20 years or so. (laughs) But I've known about WS for all these years. He lives right here in my hometown. But I didn't meet him until about uh, 12 and a half years ago. He was working, uh, come to fill in with a band that I was playing with, the Rayburn Anthony Band. Rayburn was an old Sun Records artist as well. And we were friends and we played uh, music together. And, and WS had to come in one night. Our drummer couldn't be there. So long story short, WS came and set in. And uh, we we uh, used him to play drums at night. Well, I noticed all through the show, he kept looking over at me, giving me a thumbs up. I played guitar. And so at the end of the show, he comes down off the drum riser, comes right up to me. And he said, man, I really enjoy your playing. It was great working with you tonight. He said, there's only one thing wrong with it. And I thought, oh, here it comes. And he said, it didn't happen 30 years ago. So... <laughs> We, we've been good friends ever since. We got together and we began producing music. I put the W.S. Holland Band together, and uh, we've been good close friends, he and his wife and my wife and I, uh, for the past 12 years. So when did the idea for doing this book come about? Well, you know, if, if, if you told me 10 years ago uh, you're going to write a book, I'd say you're crazy. We picked them up one night to go out to dinner. My wife, Darlene, and myself we picked up he and Joyce, his wife. And as soon as Joyce got in the car, we were leaving their subdivision. And he said, and she said, you know, Ron, you should write a book. And I said, a book about what? And she said, about, about working with WS and y'all's travels and Johnny and the whole nine yards. And I thought, man, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But we began to talk about it, Brent. And, and the next thing you know, uh, I sat down to start writing, and I took took a lot of time to write the book. Not that it was an arduous uh, experience for me, but I just uh, 
worked it in when I had some spare time and so forth. And, and but over the years, taking longer to do it, we covered a lot more territory. And uh, that's how the book came about. So as you said, it was released last week. It's the first book either either of us have ever worked on, other than just interviews. He's done tons of interviews for books and authors and documentaries. But uh, we're really proud of it. We're getting some excellent feedback. And as you know, you know you're reading it too. Uh, Larry Gatlin and Marty Stewart are good friends of ours. And they both wrote a forward for the book. And, and uh, Gatlin said he couldn't put it down. He read it over two nights in bed. And he said once he started reading, he couldn't put it down. So we're real blessed to have some good words like that about the project. And I'm just glad we've got it documented. We've got WS's career documented like that. There's some other projects we've done that have documented some of these experiences and so forth. But the book just really kind of kind of nails it down, I think, and we're real proud of what, what's going on with it. Well, I think it's so important to have that history recorded. And uh, as you say, I, I have been reading it, and anybody who's either a Johnny Cash fan or a music fan in general or, sure. or, or loves the music history, uh, it's definitely a must-read because there's some stories in there that, that you may not have heard anywhere else, and they're very important to understanding that whole time period and, and the development of, of not only country music but but rock and roll music and and he was there at, at uh, ground zero for all that he was at sun records ws was there with carl perkins he had never uh really more than seen the set of drums when he went to memphis with carl perkins carl asked him to go with him because he had come to a club where they were playing three or four nights before and he went up to Clayton Perkins' upright bass guitar and began keeping rhythm with his hands on it. Well, after the show, uh, Carl said, W.S., why don't you borrow some drums and go with us next week? We're going uh, on Thursday down to meet Sam Phillips and audition. And he said, well, man, I can't play drums. And he said, well, you can keep time on the side of that bass. You can play drums. And that's where it all started, honestly, didn't it? The, the, the rest of the story is in the book, of course. But they went down there, and the day they went to Sun Records, they they uh, got a recording contract with Sun Records and Sam Phillips. Just that easy, huh? Well, it was for them. I don't <laughs> think it would be that way now. <laughs> no. So how long did it take to write the book, and what was that whole process like? Well, to actually do the writing, it probably took a couple of years. It took me about seven years to get it all down on paper. And like I said, I worked when I had some spare time. And, and, and felt I tried to write when I, when I felt inspired to write a chapter you know what i mean instead mm -hmm. of just filling it with filler and uh all the stories there's of course there's no way to record all ws's stories he has the greatest stories in the world about his career but uh we we've been a lot of places and he'd be holding court and telling stories you know and he'd tell me he said ron i know you're sick and tired of hearing these stories and i said no i'm not sick and tired of them but yes i want to hear more and I want to hear them over and over because I want to get them planted in my mind. And that's, that's how basically the book came about, just sitting uh, with him and listening to his stories as he told other people and did interviews for, for books and radio shows and movies and documentaries and so forth. And I'm so glad I invested that time to learn and to get the insight. He told me the other day he got, I carried him several copies of the book for his own personal uh, friends and stuff. And he told me the next day, he said, I started reading the book again. And he said, how did you explain how things happen so accurately? And I said, sit and listen to all those stories. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it paid off. 
So the book starts with the ending of the Tennessee Three Days and the last time that W.S. played with Johnny Cash and then takes readers back through his career from the early days, the Sundays, on up to uh, when, when Johnny started winding down his career and uh, touring life. And then uh, W.S. had to find a new outlet for his talent. Right, he did. He, he jokingly says, but it's a lot of truth to it, he said, I retired again. Uh, he first says that he retired when he left Carl Perkins, and that was just... Uh, 1960, <laughs> and uh, but that's when Johnny called him and, and asked him to go on a two-week trip, which he did, and that story's in the book, of course. But he he, he knew that he didn't want to quit playing music. He said uh, he felt like he would just hang around Jackson, Tennessee, that's where we live, and, and play with some of the local guys that were friends and so forth. So that's what he had in mind. But when, when I came along, I, I, I realized real quick he, he needed to be doing what he was done gifted to do and that was to tour and play music and i had played music all my life so that's when we put the band together and then he and i toured toured the world for those 12 years and are still still active in music but uh he 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 didn't need to quit he, he needed to keep going and he, he's such a force of nature and people love hearing his stories and watching him play he does have a real unique way of playing too because he's left-handed naturally and he plays i think it's a, a right-handed kit set up left-handed i don't exactly i'm, I'm confused how he does it <laughs> but we, we actually did a dvd uh that is called drumming from the other side and he explains how he gets his sound he's he is the uh the coordinator or the inventor of that train sound that johnny cash used so famously throughout yeah. his his career once he added a drummer and the WS developed that sound because he said he could hear Johnny on the rhythm guitar going chick, 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 chick. And he said, I wanted to play something that would accent what he was doing. Well, that's, he came up with the train sound. And that, the rest, as they say, is the musical history. Yeah, and if you don't know what he's talking about here, go, go uh, YouTube uh, Orange Blossom Special or any of those and listen to that beat. It's just uh, it's iconic. Iconic. Yes, As you were going through this process, what did you learn along the way, and what were some of your biggest takeaways? Things that you may not have known about W.S. or Johnny Cash, or, or or just this whole music history. One thing that that really means a lot to me is having W.S. and Joyce's approval of the stories that were put in the book and how they were told. That's one of the major takeaways for me because I tried to put myself in his position and, and try to speak as much for him as I could. Of course, he told me the stories. I say it this way. People say, you wrote the book by yourself. I said, well, not exactly. <clears throat> W.S. Holland lived them and created them, and I just simply recorded them and wrote them down, you know, and, and we made a pretty good team doing that. But that's one of the things that I take away that <clears throat> he and Joyce both have been very supportive of my writing and uh, I have a real honest, sincere, and genuine appreciation for the way that I put the book together. That means a lot to me. And the next thing uh, is the fact that I can write a book. <laughs> I never had an idea that I could. And then finally, uh, realizing as I was recording and writing these stories down for these chapters, it, it would dawn on me time and time and time again that I'm actually this close to American music history mm. by being able to work on this project and get a first-hand knowledge of how it goes. Now, Brent, you know 
working with artists and musicians and broadcasting and so forth, there's a lot of times there are stories about an artist or about a situation that will circulate that are false stories. And I, I don't mean necessarily negative stories, but the, the facts get twisted. Yeah. So when they, 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 they're told so much, they become truth, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, Johnny Cash used to say, he had a saying, he said, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the stories in this book are true stories, and they're told from the perspective of a man that was there, uh, a man that was that was sober, and and uh, he he never got W.S. Holland has never had a drink of liquor, uh, he's never uh, smoked a cigarette and ever taken drugs, and so he said somebody had to stay clear-minded to remember all this stuff <laughs> jokingly, but that's that's absolute truth. He recall he has a uh, wonderful memory, and he remembers things that a lot of these guys don't remember. If you hear some of these artists from that era, God bless them all, but if you listen to some of them, they'll tell a story different each time they tell it. W.S.'s stories are consistent because he remembers well what happened. And he, he's 85 years old, turned 85 in April, and he has, he has a mind like a steel trap. He can, can still re recall details. He, he kept up with a lot of the stories throughout the nearly 40 years by the model car they were driving out on the road. Hmm. He said Johnny would buy a new car every two years. And uh, I asked him one day years ago, I said, when did, when did June Carter exactly become a part of the Johnny Cash show and legacy? And <clears throat> there's a chapter devoted to that. And he said, let's see, now we were driving a 1962 Cadillac. <laughs> and bam, all of a sudden, here come the facts. He, he, he began remembering when they started working with Gene Carter, and that's how he keeps up with a lot of it, just the, the model car that the guys in the band were, were driving at the time. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, chapter two of the book is titled The Luckiest Man in the World, and I have to say, with all the history-making events he's been a part of, uh, you know, playing in front of uh, kings and queens and presidents and, and world leaders yeah. and athletes and everybody else that... Uh, uh, you know, he, he would certainly be in the running for that distinction. He, he very much is. And I, I, you made me recall a, an instance. We were playing a show somewhere. I don't remember where it was. And we actually had our band with us at the time. Our bass player is Jim Reese, who's a, just an age-old friend of mine. We've been friends for 50 years. And he was playing bass. And, and every now and then you just kind of get a recollection or you get a revelation, you know, this, this is this is the guy that was there when history happened. This is W.S. Holland. And we were playing on stage, and Jim looked at me, and he said, hey. And I looked at him, and he said, that is W.S. Holland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he still is. <laughs> so what has that experience been like, uh, uh, the time that you spent touring? Because you guys went all over the world playing this music. It's been absolutely amazing to me. There's not a day goes by that I'm not thankful for the experience of, of working with WS and having the opportunity to do what little bit I get to do. But it is a part of history. See, I grew up, I was born in 51, so when Sun Records hit, I was about uh, five, six years old. I grew up on the same music they were making. Mm -hmm. And I remember those songs. I remember those artists, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, and all those guys and have been such a great influence on my own music over the years. Uh, so it, it's very, very valuable to me 
and my memory to be able to go back and say, yeah, I remember when that song came out. I remember when Ring of Fire first hit the radio, and I remember when Carl Perkins uh, wrote Blue Suede Shoes, wrote it about five miles from where I'm at right now. So to be, as I, as I said, to be somewhat of a, of a second-generation witness to history means more to me than most people will ever know. And Ron, I understand you brought along some music to share with us today. Why don't you set this one up for us? I will, Brent. This is a song called Million Dollar Memories, the song that I wrote. W.S. does the recitation on this song, which is throughout. It's about that day, December the 6th, 1956, when Carl Perkins, Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, all got together at Sun Studio and, and recorded what became the Million Dollar Quartet. W.S. Holland was there on the drums that day. And this song is about that experience from W.S.'s perspective. I hope everybody likes it. It was a cold Memphis December back in 1956 at Sun Records, Union Avenue, 706. I was drumming for Carl Perkins. The whole band was in town to record a song called Matchbox and lay all the tracks down. Sam Phillips hired Jerry Lee Lewis to spice up the record that day. But before we could get things rolling, the session went a different way. Johnny Cash heard we were in town. He dropped by to say hello. And the next thing we knew, Elvis Presley walked through the door. It all just seemed to happen. It was just as strange to me. Now it's all become a part of rock and roll history. I've played this whole world over, seen almost all there is to see. But I wouldn't take a million dollars for my million dollar memories. Just like what happens with most musicians, a gym session broke out that day. The boys sang songs from their childhoods of hard work, love, and faith. History calls that gym session the most famous one of all because the world was changed by the music of John and Elvis, Jerry Lee and Carl. Now late at night at Sun Records, if you peek in through the glass, you might just hear the music of sessions from the past. Some even say if you listen closely, you can almost bet you can hear the familiar voices the million dollar quartet. It all just seemed to happen. It was just as strange to me. Now it's all become a part of rock and roll history. I've played this whole world over, seen almost all there is to see. But I wouldn't take a million dollars for my million dollar memories. Million dollar
Man, what an incredible song. Ron, I really appreciate you sharing that song with us. Thank you, Brent. Glad to do so and glad that you enjoyed it. Ron, if people want to get a hold of a copy of this book here and this conversation has piqued their interest, where do they go to find it? Very simple. Go to our website, our main website. And I'm going to spell it out. It's wsflukeholland.com. Fluke is spelled F-L-U-K-E. wsflukeholland.com. Fluke is his uh, nickname, and that story's in the book as well. People think it's because he, he had never played music when he got into the, to the rock and roll business and had all these neat things happen, but the fluke actually means totally something else. So that's just one of those stories that gets it circulating wrong. So he, he sets the record straight and tells why he's W.S. Blue Collins. But W.S. Blue Collins, you can go to the uh, website, and the first page you'll see is the purchase page and the information page about the book with a nice picture of it there and some of the things that's inside, some quotes there from Larry Gatlin and Marty Stewart, and just an opportunity to, to get a copy. And I'm going to tell you something. People people will read this book time and time again because, not not because I wrote it, but because W.S. Holland shares these stories in such a great way. And they're such great stories. I mean, you know, boy, they were, they, they were the original rock and roll bad boys. Yeah. Uh, you know, out there touring all the time. And it does get kind of boring sometimes. If you're on a long tour, you have to find something to entertain yourself. Well, they would remodel uh, hotel rooms and things like that they weren't supposed to do <laughs> and just kind of get out of town by the skin of their teeth. But it makes for very funny and interesting stories, and it's all true. Well, I tell you what, it, it is absolutely music history. So I hope you go pick up a copy of the book. From W.S. Holland and Ron Haney. And Ron, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and taking the time to join us here today on Fast Line Fast Track. Again, Brent, it's an honor, and thank you for having me on. And we'll see about getting W.S. to do an interview with you as soon as he can. Uh, we, we'd sure love that. And we wish him the best and uh, wish you guys the best with this book. And again, we've been talking with Ron Haney. Well, next up on the program, we welcome in a dynamic singer-songwriter who's caught the attention of many in the industry for her heartfelt lyrics and her work ethic as an artist. She has a catchy new single out, Ain't the Only Hell My Mama Raised, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on, and she's ready to get out and do some touring once COVID cuts us a break. Allie Colleen, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you so much. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Well, I tell you what, this show has been in the works for more than a year here. We've been trying to uh, coordinate schedules and get back and forth here. And uh, and we were kind of waiting to time this with some new music, which you've got now. And uh, it's, it's just superb. And I really am appreciative of you taking the time to uh, come on here and spend a little time with us. Absolutely. It's an honor. I'm sure everyone can relate. COVID, it's just good to talk to somebody. You know, yes. whether it's on yes. a screen or not, it's just good to talk to somebody. Because I've been talking to myself for a long time. <laughs> As I was saying, I mean, we're we're kind of in the, uh, the same boat when you like to get out and and, and uh, be in front of people a lot. And uh, I mean, I've been stuck in my basement here doing these things since uh, March. So, yeah, it's nice to see uh, smiling faces on the other side for sure. Tom, oh, we're very lucky. Nashville's pretty open, but it's still not what it you know, still not normal. Yeah. You know, whatever Today it is. Anyway, it's kind of hard to say which way things are. I really know, I know, I know, I know. I know we're we're stepping backwards a little bit. I think, but I'm I'm pull, I'm hoping it won't go all the way back down. I hope we won't shut down again, but we'll see. So I had the chance to bring Allie on uh, back in October. She was the uh, the the uh, uh, 
uh, guest for us at, at a, an event for VetLinks, which is a veteran services organization. We had a uh, uh, an event down there and, and really just captivated the crowd uh, with her performance coming in after a, a day of kayaking, I believe. <laughs> That's usually what I'm coming in from. Um, I love kayaking, but I love veterans. That show is special for me. You know, it's yeah. a different kind of crowd, um, just different kinds of people. Good times. Yeah, everybody was so, so uh, appreciative of having you. And uh, I, I could just tell it really, uh, it, it was a big lift to, to a lot of them to, to do that too. That's an annual event. I know a lot of people really look forward to it. Hopefully uh, COVID won't mess that up this year as well. October seems like such a safe month if that's when it's happening this year, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? Another highlight of that day was uh, getting to uh, meet your husband uh, who came in and uh, uh, he won me over right away. He had a uh, Peyton Manning jersey on. So. He usually does. He wins people over pretty quickly, whether it's regarding football teams or um, sometimes we'll go and we'll play county fairs and things like that. And he'll just disappear and one time I couldn't find him and I found him and he was, he was in a chicken wing competition though. At the <laughs> fair. He was like, I'm going to be in it. So he, he makes friends everywhere we go. He's one he here. I think he won. And sadder than that, I think he beat the poor man that had won like the last four years. Uh, like it was such a small town. It was called a potato fest. Like it was such a small town, like fair. And Jonathan came out of nowhere and just beat the poor <laughs> guy who did it for like four years. I love it. I love it. Uh, such a great guy. And it, it, it was such a pleasure to get to uh, spend a little bit of time with you guys. So you're out of Owasso, Oklahoma, and then on to uh, Belmont University, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, since you got out of there, you've been cranking out some music pretty consistently over the past couple of years, both as a songwriter and a performer. And it seems like folks are really starting to take notice of that. Thank you. What we've we're getting a little traction, you know. Finally, we were getting a lot of traction, and then COVID hit, and I'm sure that that is the same for everybody. Um, yeah. But yeah, Owasso is so different. I live in Nashville now, um, and Oklahoma and Nashville, you know, it's just different worlds. Like I'm sure it is anywhere. And um, I didn't really know anybody in my hometown that played music. Um, I was in like a pop rock, like a what do we call them? like a pop. I guess it was kind of like a funky rock band. They're definitely alternative. Anyway, I, I just joined a band like the last year of high school just to get to write for people and like play with them. They were all already together. They were called Neo Romantics and they're awesome. They're still playing today. But um, outside of that, I just always played music by myself. So to get to come from Los Oklahoma to Nashville, Tennessee and join this school of arts, you know, was so special and amazing. And then to find out I could get a degree in songwriting. Uh, awesome. Like hands down, yeah. what else was I going to do? So Went to Belmont. You had to get accepted into the songwriting program. Um, so God got me in there. And then just literally been writing ever since. And I mean, I wrote back home in Oklahoma, but not the way I do now. It's just, it's changed in a lot of ways um, over the last couple of years. And I've been out of school two years now. I graduated in 2018 um, mm -hmm. and just been figuring it out since then. One of the fun things that uh, that I like to do, uh, you always seem to pop up in in my uh, my news feed, uh, sh showing some new uh, material that you're trying out here that that you've just written that day or that week or whatever. And I can really tell by the smile on your face when you're doing it that, that you're truly having fun doing it. I love it. I love it, especially on those days when we just this last week we've posted two that we wrote in the last two weeks and. We always forget this, you know, when the rights up, we're always kind of packing up and leaving because we haven't eaten in so long and we're going to go eat, you know, kind of thing. Because songwriting always falls during lunchtime. It's so weird. 
So we're anyway, we always get up and leave afterwards, long story short. And the last couple of times I got my co-writers to just sit with me and do a video, like first run through, you know, kind of thing. And, and that's so special one, because two, one, you get to like share who you created it with. And it's going to be so much different with their little inflections in it than it will be when I take it home and play by myself. But then also you get to see it about two or three weeks later when like I've really grown into the song and like played it at home a bunch and it just turns into something different. So um, that's kind of been the case with the song that we wrote a couple weeks ago with my buddy Eric Dodd. We posted it the day of. It's called um, Don't Give Your Heart to a Cowboy. And it got so much love and so much like it just everybody loved it. But then when I got to put up a video of me playing it about two weeks later, you just got to see the difference, you know, and like when the day you write it and the day that you kind of grow into it. So that's been a huge thing for me. And that's one of the songs that I'll, I'll play for you guys today. It's one of our brand new ones um, that we're very excited about, but just, just good times. And back home, I was right with myself. So co-writing, you know, was introduced in Nashville and to get to, to do this with other people is definitely by far my, my absolute favorite thing about writing. What's that experience like? Because I'm sure there's some people that, that you just automatically click with other people. It takes time. And some people, it just never happens. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, so the best way I can explain it, it's just, it's so vulnerable, you know, even if you're writing a fun, happy song, it's vulnerable. And so it's literally like, it'd be like getting together in a room with someone you'd never met before and like stand under fluorescence and like take your clothes off. Like you're just going to show all the bad stuff. Like there it is. Just, it's so vulnerable, but it comes from both sides. You know, I'm never sitting here like showing myself and being self-conscious about it. And they're laid back, you know, it's, you're always doing it together and you're always just experiencing it. And and you find, like you said, you find your writers that I will write with for the rest of my life. They come over to my house. We have dinner all the time. They've just became my friends. Um, and then we have those writers where at the end of the day, we were both just like, dude, thanks for taking a chance and writing with me. You know, we'll email, we'll link up again. We'll, we'll schedule the write. And usually if you don't leave with another write scheduled, you know that you guys are probably never going to write together again. <laughs> you know, it's just what it is. And then, like you said, sometimes you write with somebody and it's amazing. And then scheduling happens and you write with them a year later and it's just different. It's just, it's literally always so different. And I've met so many people here through the co-writing process that are just amazing. And some of them are artists too. And some of them just write. Um, it's just crazy how different songwriters can be. It's honestly, I mean, that's, what's cool about it. Well, that's your challenge coming out of this is to develop a song around the lyrics to take off all your clothes and stand under the fluorescence. Under fluorescence. All right. I'll write that one down. I'll write that one down. I guess we would use that hook everyone uses of the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it'd be a lot of ugly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, yeah, well, there you go. I, I can't wait to hear what you come up with. <laughs> so before we go any further, how about hearing that one? Absolutely. <clears throat> so, um, I, You'll probably find this out about me with any song about cowboys. I think they are the coolest things on the planet. You know, like the first Western I ever saw when I was a kid, I was hooked. And that's kind of what the beginning of the song is about. It just walks you through like getting introduced to the cowboy, right? And how cool that is and 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 all that stuff. And then you learn as, as the song goes on, there's just one thing you don't ever do with cowboy. Um, that's what the song's about. So it goes like this. I literally love it so much. I hope you guys like it. If you don't, don't tell me. I wrote this with my buddy Eric Dodd. We're actually playing around tonight after this, which I'm stoked about. Um, but he's an amazing writer, amazing artist, and we wrote this together.
since the wind came rolling in from the east. <clears throat> to a one horse town, spurs on the ground, silver screams. From that first tip of a hat, girls like me got it that. And that great drives you wild. He'll help you with this smile, and back then I wish I knew. Not all dreams come true. And yeah, he'll spin you around that sawdust floor. And yeah, he'll hold your hand out those double doors. He smells sweet like a winter green, with lips that taste like whiskey. And he'll leave his leaving boots on your front porch. So don't give your heart to a cowboy. Oh. I must have fell asleep. Cause I'd never seen the bitter end. That sunset slow, those credits roll without a warning. I guess I always thought that he'd be coming back. He wouldn't leave her all alone. Boy, was I wrong. question here from Nicole Zercher and she wants to know when you're writing a song do you start with the lyrics or the music first oh my gosh it's always different Nicole it's totally always different so songwriters are weird some of us will tell you about these songs that we get in our sleep you can believe us or not you know I feel like everyone either believes us or not um but we have a song that we'll talk about a little bit later and it's called close enough and that song for me was literally a gift it took just as long to write it as it did to sing it and I needed it, you know, and then there's songs like Don't Give Your Heart to a Cowboy, where my dad and I had this conversation one day. I guess I was leaving his house using a door that I didn't use to come in. And he goes, hey, bud, like, don't forget your boots are by the door. And I go, oh, yeah, because I'm a cowboy. 
And my dad goes, oh, because because you're like you're a gentleman. And I go, no, dad, I need a swift exit. And so I made that joke about cowboys. And then I was like, well, someone needs to write that song. You know, cowboys are the greatest things on the planet, but they will. They will leave your leaving boots on your front porch. You know, they'll just so it's always different. I have a whole note, um, you know, in my in my phone that just has title after title after title or hook or maybe just scenarios that I saw. And sometimes you take those to a right and you're like, dude, I have no idea what this is yet, but this is my thought. And that's really what you start from is a thought. Sometimes you go to a co-write and they're like, dude, I have this awesome melody. What do you want to write to it? You know? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you just show up and you're like, Hey, I don't have a melody yet, but here's our chorus. It's just literally always different. I personally am a lyric writer. I'm very good with words. Um, I'm even good with melodies of like phrasing and things like that. But when it comes to guitar, I feel like my songs always sound the same. And that's why I tend to lean to co-writers that are really, really strong uh, melodic wise on guitar, piano or whatever it is that they use. So take me back a bit to uh, where music began for you. For those that don't know, Allie, she talked about her dad a second ago, the youngest daughter of a guy who I learned today, 25 years ago today, got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in front of Capitol Records. Uh, shout out to my buddy uh, Katie Rogers for that fast back. But uh, Garth Brooks, a guy who is an inspiration to a lot of artists, or at least uh, I assume as I go past all the honky tonks on lower Broadway's, I head down to the Ernest Tubb record shop, 417 Broadway. Um, so t tell me about, uh, you know, just you falling in love with music. Uh, what, yeah. what was the, what was that like? And who were some of the inspirations that you had growing up? And when did you feel like, this is what I want to do as opposed to doing anything else with my life. So I never knew to backtrack and answer your last question first. Mm -hmm. I never knew if, if and it took me a really long time to figure out that my dad was as well known as he was, you know, it wasn't until I was probably about 15 that I saw those, um, the, um, the central park footage. And I was like, I couldn't figure out why people kept stopping us at the grocery store. Like I didn't understand why everyone was so interested, you know, about him. So all that to say, I don't know that I really understood what having a career in the music business looked like, but I can tell you my, or my earliest memory. I was like, I'm going to do music. I'm going to be a singer. I'm going to write songs. I can't think of a time when I didn't want that. I can't think of a time when it wasn't the only thing that I'm really good at. I tried to be an athlete. I'm very good at it. Um, I love horses, but you can't make money off horses unless you're breeding, you know, I mean, people find a way to do it, but it's so much, it's actually probably just as hard as the music industry is. But, um, my parents were so interesting in the sense that dad did not play a lot of like country music in the house when I was little. Um, I remember my dad like introducing me to queen and we watched all the queen footage. Um, we listened to a lot of seal. We listened to a lot of Kansas. We listened to a lot of Billy Joel and Elton John um, but the two country artists that he brought in the house that really made me go, what the crap is this? Was Randy Travis and James Taylor, just mm -hmm. literally the sweet spot of country music. Um, my bonus mom brought me Keith Whitley. Mm -hmm. She was such a fan of Keith Whitley. Um, and now I am, I just want to be Keith Whitley and like sound like butter every time I sing. And then my mama, <clears throat> for reasons maybe you guys will understand, did not listen to country music at all. So my mom loved 2000s pop music. She just absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. So she loved like Sierra and Nelly and all those people. So all that to say, my influences are kind of just this witch's brew of stuff. So like, mm -hmm. I feel like vocally, I followed Cher a lot. 
Uh-huh. And I call it Andy Lennox. And then when Christina Aguilera put out that Genie in a Bottle album, oh my gosh, that's who I was going to be. Um, but then there were melodies and storylines that like, Keith Whitley had and Randy Travis had and Jody Messina and um, Jamie O'Neill and just all of these amazing country artists that just, you know, they had stories. And I thought that was the coolest thing about country music is it's just stories, you know, or and it's so cool. And so those are definitely my early, early influences. And like I said, I, I clung to Christina Aguilera growing up, her and like Kelly Clarkson and like any of those big pop females that just have these huge voices. Um, loved all that stuff. But really my my two people right now that I kind of anchor everything with that I just want to fall between so dang bad is Cody Johnson and Ashley uh, McBride. Yeah. They're yeah. really the two best cowboys we have right now. Yes. And uh, she, Ashley is just amazing because Ashley, the, the bigger and bigger she gets, I keep thinking, okay, here comes the album where yeah. it's all the songs, you know, that are kind of on country radio and, you know, we get there it goes. Hasn't happened yet. Every album yeah. she puts out, it's truly like her. Like all those songs are her. And I don't know. She's just so cool. She had this song on her last album that she could easily do a duet with like Nickelback or somebody really dope with. It's called Doo Doo Doll. It was so cool. Yeah. Um, so literally my influences are everywhere. But right now, Ashley McBride is 100% a trailblazer for me. I love Runaway June. I think their stuff's really cool. I love the stuff that they sing about. Those are my when people. You, you- you bring up Cody Johnson. It's interesting because uh, you guys are on kind of that same turf, and that uh, that you love country music, but you also uh, bring in a kind of the, uh, the the inspirational aspect of it. And one of the things I, I couldn't get out of here without mentioning was the fact that uh, you were nominated for three Inspirational Country Music Association Awards in 2019, and were named the ICMA New Artist of the Year. I was and, uh, just just incredible. So congratulations on, on that. Thank you. I feel like nobody knows that. I love that you know that. Oh yeah. Well, I was watching when it happened, and that's that, that, that's really special stuff there. And uh, it was so you cool know, to be able to, to be able to do both of those to, to to put out country music, but then to be able to 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 share your faith and to be able to share that that music powerfully. Uh, I, I think that, that that's incredible stuff. It was amazing. The ICM Association um, was so welcoming to me. Um, I feel like I came out of nowhere, didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, this really sweet man named Steve Ridgman, you know, approached me and he goes, Hey, I have this duet. You'd sound great on it. Let's do it. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's do it. And, um, we were nominated for, for, for two things with that song. And, and one as myself is just being a new artist. Um, and that was really special. I think we got like a Joni award and those things, um, from it that were really cool too. And it was just literally a really special part, like you said, to be in not only a place where everybody loves country music and respects it and and does kind of tend more towards the traditional values of country music, but also a place where you're right. I could just openly share my faith and not have to worry about it. Not like it's ever anything I worry about, but the ideas were just, you know, they brought out, I feel like they may be more comfortable in another side of me that I wasn't as comfortable with, you know, in the beginning. So I thought that was huge for them. And just to, to allow me to be a part of any of that was really, really special. And you got to accept that award right there on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, which, uh, man, man, that's got to be a huge thrill for you. It was. It was. It really was. Um, we had we had performed on the Opry once before. Um, we did a Ralph Stanley tribute, which I thought yeah. was special because my dad and I's movies, Brother, Where Art Thou? It's like the one thing we watch together all the time other than football. And so to get to perform a Ralph Stanley song, I performed um, The Fields of Turn Brown, which is so sad. Uh-huh. 
and yeah. um, an original of mine. So I got to do that on the Opry stage and that was amazing. Steve and I got to sing on the Opry stage together that night as well. Um, like for the ICM awards. Um, and that was really, really special, but I have yet to have like Ali Colleen's Opry debut. And that is a day that not wait for. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So tell me about the Belmont experience. You know, you have a degree in songwriting and music business. And, uh, uh, you know, as I've watched you kind of put your career together, uh, as I kind of have seen how, how your dad has done it as well, being able to, to take what you do and kind of take control of it and not let a bunch of outside forces come in and, and dictate things. And, and, you know, I've seen, I don't know how many people, and I, a lot of them we've had on this show here before where they leave XYZ little hometown and pack up their, their, their little car and ha have a couple hundred bucks in their pocket and, and they think they're going to make a go of it. But uh, you, you really took a very pragmatic approach to it. I uh, went and got your degree and really plugged in with some of the brightest people in the industry. Tell me what that experience was like and tell me, tell me some of the classes that you took that you really got a, a lot out of, or maybe some of the people uh, that you came in contact with that really kind of set you on the path that you're on. Absolutely. Um, so Belmont was amazing. I made a deal with my parents uh, about probably anywhere between sixth and eighth grade. I was in middle school and my parents were just, they kept watching me and kept noticing that I had the bug. You know, I was not giving up on this music thing and they were kind of like crap what do we do? You know, cause they're the, my parents are the one people that could not tell me this, this dream isn't feasible. You know what I mean? And they always knew that they're like, we can't tell her, you know, how hard it is. Cause we went and did it. So like, we got to let her go do it. But with that said, my dad and I, we made an agreement that I would go to college and I would get a degree. Um, just like he did before I really pursued this industry really hard. And I thank God every day that I did that because I mean, I probably need 12 more years to grow up as a person anyway. You know, I mean, if I would have been trying to do this at 17 years old when I moved here, I I don't I probably would have burned out so quick and just been frustrated. So yeah. I'm alone at Belmont's amazing for anybody who wants literally any career ever. It's like I know college is really tough and I know it's not always financially feasible. And I know that. But if you can go to college, if you have the opportunity to go, go. That's my one thing. Just go. It doesn't matter. It truly does not matter what you go to school for. I encourage you to go to school for something you love and that you're passionate about. But a lot of people want to see that four year diligence that you did it. So anyway, I'm so happy that I did it. I met so many amazing people. Um, the songwriting program is so interesting, right? Because everyone goes, well, how do you put like a rubric on like creativeness? Like, yeah. what does that look like? So the rubrics were very simple. Honestly, they were simple things in the sense that you had to understand the format of kind of like the Nashville writing style, which is, you know, typically a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, a bridge, and then your chorus, you know, seven or eight more times, depending on what song it is. And so we kind of went through that in songwriting one, songwriting one, they literally threw us into co-writes immediately. And I was so uncomfortable. And it honestly got to the point where a lot of students were just like, Hey, I already have the song finished. Do you want to send it in? And we were like, yeah, like none of us, like we were not ready to co-write yet. I thought they threw us into it so early. Um, just coming to towns where like a lot of us were the only people in their town that did music. I was literally the only person at Owasso high school that was like, I want to grow up and be a singer, you know, like it, there just wasn't a lot of us. So anyway, the co-writing was a huge pressure at the beginning. And I'm so glad it was. Cause like you and I talked about earlier, Sometimes you have to be forced into things to make them happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, but one of some of my biggest takeaways from Belmont was I got to do, I got to do two study abroads while I went to school. Um, one was for basic science classes. 
Um, and I did that in London and it was amazing. But my second one was in Ireland and it was only lyric writing. Yeah. So my first assignment was they sent us into the National Art Gallery. We had to pick a photograph and we had to write the narrative behind it. You know, like it didn't have to be like historically accurate with the painting or anything like that. You know, it just had to be, you had to show that you could be inspired by seeing something basically, mm -hmm. you know, and this was really special for me. As I mentioned earlier with Nicole's question, I am a lyric writer. That is what I do. I'm very good with words. That's my thing. So to get the opportunity to spend five weeks in Ireland, only focusing on lyric writing was the coolest thing I've ever done. All of our projects were something cool like that, where we got sent in somewhere and we had to write about it. We also got to perform while we were there. So I got to perform in Belfast and in Northern Ireland. And that was really special. But we got there. We arrived in Dublin. We went south. We went around the bottom of Ireland, um, up just like the west coast of Ireland and up into Northern Ireland and in and back into Dublin. And it was five weeks of nonstop travel. I think we stayed in the same place maybe for two or three days at a time. And it was so special. And my phone broke as soon as I got there. So I literally got to be like just off the grid. I don't have any photos and I'm so bummed about that. But like yeah. I just got to go and like literally be immersed in a different culture for five weeks. And it mm -hmm. was amazing. Um, and then I met my best friend here in Nashville. I met her at Belmont. Her name's Carly Rogers. She's an artist. She is absolutely crazy. And she is just, she's so amazing and her music's so different than mine. So to get to have somebody who's kind of in this place, the same place I am right now, I would say our calibers are exactly the same. We're kind of in the same place on our journey to where we want to go, you know? So to get to have her with me is, is a really amazing. And just to, to feed off of Carly, our careers look literally so different. And I think that's really special too. You know, it's not like we're in some little box that we think we're doing it right. You know, we're both just doing different things. And um, she was amazing. Um, but Belmont was just really, really special. But to be honest, if you take the music business, um, like if you go the music business route, it's almost the same exact thing. So like, it's really hard to just make an entire degree out of just songwriting, you know? So I also had like copyright law classes and I had publishing classes. And um, for anyone who's not familiar, your publishers are those people that really hold all the songwriting catalogs. Um, so your publishers are going to be those people who pick your song out and give it to your artist, you know, or whatever it is kind of thing. So I got to learn that. My only thing from Belmont that I wish I would have realized at the time and asked more questions about was in those publishing classes, I was being taught how to be a publisher. I was mm -hmm. never taught how to be an artist communicating with a publisher. Mm -hmm. Same thing is in our artist management class, I was taught how to manage an artist I was not taught how to be an artist myself and advocate for myself and do all those things. Um, and there's huge takeaways to any of that stuff, you know, anyway, but I do wish they taught a little bit more of the artist side, but I also don't know how they would do that because every artist is so different, you know, but I really enjoyed Belmont. Um, I knew this is where I needed to be for my career. So this is where I came. So when you plunged into the actual uh, career itself, what has been the most difficult part of navigating the business side of it? I think the most difficult part of navigating the business side of music is realizing that there is a business side to music. Mm -hmm. you know? It's like, it really, really stinks when you finally come to the realization and anybody, if this hurts your heart, I was there too. But now I know the business side and I have to feel this way about it. It does not matter half as much as you think it does. I won't say it doesn't matter, but it probably only matters about 10% opposed to a hundred percent your talent. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like 
And that's one thing that I've, I've learned since I moved here too. And to just being a kid who grew up with YouTube, there is, there are so many people on this planet that can sing a thousand times better than anybody that's on radio right now. You know what I mean? And it's just, that's just how it is. And I always use this example with music is a very safe industry outside of COVID-19 toilet paper, right? So as I'm walking down the toilet paper aisle, Charmin is eye level, right? The whole way. It's always eye level. And Charmin has an advertising budget that puts their product at eye level. So you see it. And that budget is numbers that you and I can't even fathom. You know what I mean? So it's like to know that that's how music works too is really, really tough. You know what I mean? You and I talked about money backing just a little bit earlier. We just touched on it on, on how much that can do for you. And, and we've been very lucky in the sense that we've had a, a very good job since we moved here and, and we have people with us. But um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned since I came here and the hardest thing is that it is a business. And I always thought that if you were good enough and if you were born to do this, somebody would hear your music and just share it with everybody. You know what I mean? And you would become known that way. And yeah. now I've learned that you don't get put on those Spotify editorial playlists just because you're good. You yeah. get put on them because you have a budget behind you um, and, and that kind of thing. And, and talent is huge. You know, you have to master your craft and it has to mean something to you, I believe. But I do think that there is a, a much larger business side to it than any of us consumers want to agree with, you know, and that kind of thing. So that's like a little disheartening because it's music, right? That should be the one thing that's like sacred and special and, whatever. Um, but we are lucky, you know, on the other end to have a world of social media right now. I can't imagine doing this in the eighties and nineties and just praying your team makes it work for you. You know what I mean? So I think right now there is the greatest potential for independent artists to do their thing. Like I'm an independent artist, you know, I think there's a lot of doors that are open for us. As I talked about trailblazers, trailblazers earlier, Cody Johnson, him and Ashley yeah. did it all independent for so long. And I also know that that means that they didn't make a fourth of the money we think they make. You know what I mean? But, yeah. and I know that Cody and Ashley probably toured for anywhere from eight to 10 years without actually making a profit, you know, but what they gained like in their audience, especially in Texas, we all know how, like how um, just Texas, if you're, if they're with you, they're with you forever. So um I think that there are people in this industry right now that are showing me and everybody else that you can do this as an independent artist. And we hope to be independent as long as we can be. Um, just because, like you said earlier, we want to fight for our career and we want to make it into what Allie Colleen is instead of what somebody else would make it into. With that said, if a label ever knocks on my door, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to turn it down. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. We'll just strike everything we just said here. And now before we go any further, I want to share another of your songs with our listeners. This was released at the height of the pandemic with a lyric video, which we'll post on our Facebook page. This is Close Enough. Tell us about this one. So there was a social media challenge going on during COVID um, that a lot of artists were doing where you were just being nominated to share like work tapes. And work tapes are like, so like when I write a song on that day and I keep my voice memo, that's a work tape, right? It's just like an unpolished recording. Some people's work tapes are more polished than others. Some aren't. Anyway, everyone was encouraging us to put out a work tape. And I was like, well, to be honest, we have two albums that we've never used. One I recorded very young. We'll never use it. That was a learning project for me. The second one, we will use most of those songs again um, when we make, when we make an EP, but they just, 
Um, we felt like they could fit me better. They weren't bad, but we felt like they could fit me better. So anyway, all that to say, we've had this recording of close enough for so long. And I was like, well, if I'm going to share a work tape, I'm going to share one of our like produced songs that we have. Um, and close enough was one that I wrote. I was a, a sophomore in college and I was just in a bad place. You know, I was just in a really bad place and I needed help. And I just sat down one day as kind of a last cry for like, hey, dude, like if you're up there, you've got to show yourself to me. And like, I need your help. And he gave me this song and it's close enough. And so I held on to it for so long. You know, your songs, your babies, and sometimes you're not ready to let them go. And I was not ready for somebody to say something bad about close enough. I wasn't ready for somebody to get political about my my religious views. You know, I just I wasn't I didn't ever want anybody to ruin close enough. And my husband, Jonathan, I mean, you talked about him earlier, how good of a, how just good of a man he is. He was like, Hey, you know, I feel like, I feel like you say all the time that close enough saves your life. So you kind of owe it to people to share that, you know, like this could save somebody else. And I was like, damn it. Right. So all that to say, we went on Facebook, we needed, I think there's something like 56 lines that we divided the song up into. We needed about 56 people. I was so nervous that when the video finally came out, like everyone who knew me would see everybody that they knew I knew. You know what I mean? Like I would have to ask people to be a part of it. I was so nervous about it. But um, we put it on Facebook anyway. And within an hour, we had 580 people who wanted to be in this lyric video. And that was so special to me because we prefaced it. We're like, hey, I understand that we don't all have the same views in this world. So if you don't want to be a part of a worship song, I totally get it. So we had 580 people ready to worship with me, which I was so stoked about. And um, the video is very simple. We'll share it it with you. You guys can see it. But I have a little Easter egg for you. My nieces are in this video. And I gave them one of my favorite lines in the song. And it's when nightmares leave me scared. Didn't even think about it. Just gave it to them. Well, when a three and a six-year-old read when nightmares leave me scared, they decide we're going to dress up scary. Like this is a scary song. So uh, when the lyric comes up, you'll see it. The scariest thing in the photo is the white picket fence. That's green now, but you'll see my two beautiful little nieces. One of them looks like she smoked for 80 years. They're like these little black dresses with like all this dark makeup on, but that's my Easter egg for the video. My dogs are also in it, but there's a couple dogs in it. A couple people just sent in lyrics like with their dogs holding it, and that stole my heart. So check it out, you guys. Um, but this is close enough. We're gonna let it roll. Here is close enough.
What a special song. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for, for showing everybody. I'm, I'm so proud of it. I, I loved having everybody in it. Um, I wish I would have mentioned it to you guys, and I'm sure you noticed it. At the bottom of their little cards, you saw where they were from. So we had um, some shows that were planned for the summer that were in Sweden, and I hope I say it right, but it was in Heidekos, um in Sweden, and um, a man named Benny is on there holding a thing, and he's from Heidekos. and so I reached out to him like an idiot, and I was like, no way, I was supposed to be there, and he was like, yeah, I would have been hosting you. I was like, oh, of course, like, of course, this is you, like, literally the only person yeah. in Sweden that I, that I would know, but to get to see everybody from all these different places was really special. Um, and especially to coming together to not only be a part of something that was for me, but something for God. Um, but close enough is so special. One thing I always like to say with it, um, I've, we've had a lot of positive feedback from a lot of people um, about how I have such a positive faith and an unwavering faith and all these things. And and while I would love to agree with that and, and say, yeah, I've got the beautiful faith ever close enough was literally a cry for help. It was literally like, you're supposed to be here with me and you're not like, and I can't get close enough to you. Like, where are you? And so I always just like to let people know that, you know, there's kind of two versions of this song that I live with. One is in my, in my bad moments when I feel like he's not close because I've wandered and things have gotten tough and I'm not doing what I should be doing and those kind of things. And then there's also that, that place where you are good and it does feel good, you know, and, and that's when you just can't get close enough because you're already so close, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a, a worship artist named Teron Wells. I think it's like mm -hmm. Lawrence but with a T and he has a song called Hills and Valleys. Mm -hmm. And it's just all about how, whether I'm on the Hills or whether I'm in the valleys, I'll praise you, you know, and it's very special. It's very pretty and everything. And he's a kind of a pop R and B worship artist. And he made, Oh, it was so special. And I want to do this with close enough. He has three different versions of Hills and Valleys that you can listen to. One is just like his version that he put out that's very poppy, soulful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. The second one is a Hills remix. 
So mm -hmm. it's like all poppy. It's Cynthia. It's, you know, you're in the car and you're like, hell yeah. Like I'm on the hill, like all these good things. Right. And then there's a valleys mix, which is like mainly just him and a piano. And it's very somber. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the same song, same vocal take. I swear they just did the production differently. And so close enough lives somewhere between Carrie Job and Evanescence for me. Yeah. You know, and I think that would be so cool. So on top of researching Ralph Stanley, you guys also have to go check out Hills and Valleys because. Yeah, definitely. We both, uh, we always uh, kind of vacillate between those hills and valleys, it seems mm -hmm. like. Yeah. Maybe by the hour. I think so. If you're me, you bet your butt. Yeah. Same here. Same here. So COVID, you know, has really put a damper on a lot of things for a lot of people and you can't get out and, and promote your music and get behind it like you could. And you know, a lot of artists are taking a lot of time to uh, do a lot of writing and also spending a lot of time trying to build a uh, following uh, via social media. And I know we see that here when we see this video and see people coming from so many different areas around the country and around the world. Uh, what, how have you used this time and what do you think things are going to look like on the other side? If there, if there is going to be another side here, you know, I think there will be literally so many goods and so many bads. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we are talking about, we just put out a single, um, and for the first time we're going to radio. So I'm so excited. There's so many new things coming with that said, we're talking about a virtual radio tour right now. Hmm. And as awesome as that is, because I don't have to leave my house and, you know, stop in a city every single day and go around the country and not really get to play shows, but just go in and do interviews. As cool as that sounds, sitting here at my kitchen table, knowing that I can go do whatever I want to after this, I feel like if we're in a radio interview and you're not having a very good day, you know, and you're not really there mentally and you're hearing me over your laptop speakers, I feel like there's an engagement there that we're going to miss. So yeah. as cool as radio tour could be, and we could hit so many more radio stations in the time, you know, that we're allotted, including overseas. That's amazing. But with that said, I crave people. Like I love interactions with people and my voice does not sound like it does in person ever. There's just, that's everybody's voice, right? There's just no way to capture emotion that way. So that's a huge yeah. thing I'm worried about is my first radio tour, not really being a radio tour. Um, but we get, we did record this single during quarantine and there's tons of ways to record music and a lot of people do it differently. Um, but in my case, I am one of those people where we're going to meet in the morning. We're all going to set up together, even though I know like you won't be ready for me to sing until afternoon and we're going to get together. We're going to do that. We're going to break at lunch, you know, and we're going to go have lunch. We're going to come back. And that's how I've always recorded quarantine. I now have this beautiful single out that I haven't met 75% of the people who played on it. I've never met them. I don't know them. My producer just picked people that he knew were very good and they just flew tracks, you know, from home studio to home studio. Um, and I don't know them. So I feel like that's kind of a loss, but on the second hand, since I wasn't there to be like, this is what I want. This is what I need to do. Every single person got to put a little bit of themselves in the song, you know? So I feel like it turned out so much differently than it would have without COVID. Um, at one point, the guy who's singing background vocals on our single, he also threw in a banjo track. He just sent his, he sent in his harmonies, but he also goes, Hey, I play banjo. And I just kind of heard this fun thing. Use it. Don't use it. Like totally up to you. And I would have not put banjo in this song at all. And I loved it. Banjo made it in, you know, all these different things. So it was a really cool creative process in that sense. We still all have to get lunch one day. Um, 
but that was a really interesting thing with COVID was, was putting out music. And we've recorded a lot of music during this time to put out in this year um, and things like that. So that's been a huge deal. Um, but also I feel like this is, I feel like the world is telling us to educate ourselves right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like this isn't a time to be speaking out as much as people are doing it and as much as they want to. Um, but right now, a the huge thing that I focus on in quarantine was focusing on myself as a writer and um, just really trying to educate myself about events in this world that I didn't realize I didn't understand until now, yeah. you know? So I think, I think that this is a really big growth process for everybody. And I think if you come out of the hole in the sunlight and you haven't been doing anything, you're going to realize that a race was going on this whole time and you just didn't know it. You know, I think yeah. that, I think a lot of things will come into fruition after quarantine. I pray quarantine isn't like a life thing now, you know? Um, but I don't know. I just, I think recording music was definitely what literally saved my soul during this time was just getting yeah. through that, even though it wasn't with a bunch of people. So how do you want people to view you as an artist? And what do you think is the greatest compliment that they can pay you? My greatest compliment that you can pay me is talk to me about lyrics. Oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, how cool is that? There's so many lyrics and so many little Easter eggs and songs. And and if you come up to me and you can can quote one of my songs, I mean, Allie Colleen is a storyteller. That is what I want to be for the rest of my life. I don't care what I sound like. I don't care if I fall into pop one day or run away and do bluegrass, you know, like whatever it is, I'm a storyteller. And so if you, if you can pull out a line of one of my songs and tell me what it means to you and it means something different for you than it is for me, that's the gold, you know, like that's the special thing about songwriting is I can write a song hundred percent looking this way and you're over here looking that way and it's still fitting exactly what you need. I think yeah. that's the coolest thing. I think that we all grow up, we all grew up having that one song that we're like, this is about me, you know? And if I do my job right, every song I do, you will find your place in it, you know, kind of thing as a listener. And I just think that that, that storytelling is so cool. So one of the things that you've been able to do with the music is have a bit of a social impact. Your single, Take Up Your Arms, was originally used in a promotional video for Sea Turtle Recovery and by a nonprofit organization dedicated to uh, the rehabilitation of sea turtles and uh, providing public outreach. So t- tell us a bit about that project and how did all that come together? We got to play a show. Um, so we play the Lycoming County Fair in Hughesville, Pennsylvania every year. This would have been our third, fourth, thank you, baby doll, would have been our third year to play it. And um, just really, really special. We had a, I want to say it's Orange Beach, but I I might be wrong. But anyway, we had somebody out of New Jersey reach out to us and go, hey, you're really close to us. We see that you love animals. We run a sea turtle recovery facility. And um, it would really mean the world to us if you could stop by after playing Pennsylvania and maybe do like a benefit concert for us. We'll set it up and everything. And I was like, I'm there. Let's go. So we got to go. And the whole day before soundcheck, we got to spend it in the clinic. I met all the turtles. Um, they had this turtle in at the time. There was a huge leatherback sea turtle. And her name was Tammy. And they talked about how she doesn't breathe very often, right? Like they don't need to come up for air like often at all. And they were saying that she specifically is like being shy, keeping to herself, staying at the bottom of her tank, all this stuff, like just not being social because she was very new and she wasn't feeling good. And I was like, okay. I was like, can I go and like see her, her tank? And they go, yeah, it's right over there. Literally help yourself. And I walked over there. And as soon as I walked over there, she came up and she breached and she got air 
And it was literally just like the most special thing on the planet. My, my family runs a wildlife rehabilitation clinic in Oklahoma. And so I've dealt with all of the wildlife in Oklahoma. Um, but needless to say, nobody ever brought in a sea turtle. <laughs> so to get to see a sea turtle in real life, it's literally prehistoric. Like their eyes are so special and it was so cool. And so we got to play that night in Caesar's palace in Atlantic city. Um, and that's by far one of the greatest shows I've ever had. Um, the ticket sales were not high. Nobody really knew about it. Um, and it was still one of the greatest shows I've ever had. It was so much fun. Um, we're trying to get a show with them right now, but Miss Brandy and them are literally two kind of people that they won't let me come up out of my way. So they've been like watching my tour schedule and hoping that I get close, but I would literally drive up there tomorrow for them. I think this awesome. recovery is amazing, but we played this song called take up your arms, which is just all about loving each other. And we were lucky enough for them to use it in a promotional video, as you said, um, within the last couple months. And that was so special too, because you get to see all the turtles and um, just a really cool place. They're doing really cool things. They don't keep a penny for themselves. They're just good people. Well, again, we'll share this video on our Facebook page, but here, without further ado, is Allie's song, Take Up Your Arms. When I was a kid, it was right and it was wrong. Did unto others as you wish to be done. These days it seems this whole world needs relief from the violence and fire of religious Just take a look, you gotta know where you stand Rally up the boys, wake up Uncle Sam We've got a job, oh there's work to be done Take up your arms, put them around someone Forget yourself for a minute, put your
Mm-mm-mm. Great oh, stuff. Cute. <laughs> if everybody hasn't caught on yet, uh, I mean, this girl's a star. The, these songs are incredible. Thank you so much. Take up your arms. It was it was just a special song that we wrote. We wrote it forever ago now, and my dream has always been for Chris Stapleton to do it. I've never mm, really been an artist that felt that. like right. I just I've never been an artist that felt like like a man has to sing a song for it to go farther. I really don't think that's true. But I just think Stapleton does have a platform and a voice and like such a thing to make take up your arms way bigger than I ever could. Um, yeah. That's always been a dream of mine. That's kind of why I've held on to it so long. I'm just hoping that I can pitch it one day. <laughs> well, the campaign starts here. Let's get it going here. If anybody's listening or watching or has those connections, let's get it done. That uh, would be that would be fun to watch. That would be fun, wouldn't it? One of the big things that, that I always like to find out with artists is just what, what's on your musical bucket list? What are some of the things that you really want to accomplish in the course of your career? So I don't know if this is a, a musical bucket list, but I, I intend to use music to help me accomplish this. I want to, I don't think I'll ever get to be one, but there's an organization in South Africa. They're called the Black Mambas. And they are a military trained group of only females that protect all of the reserve lands. So their job is literally to fight the world against poachers. Like I want to do that. I wanted to do it since I was a kid. I want to be a black mamba. So I would love to put on a benefit show in South Africa for the black mambas. Um, we could do it in country too. We could put on any kind of shows But I'm hoping if we do it in South Africa, they'll take me around, show me some stuff. Um, I think their cause is amazing. I think everything they do is amazing. Um, that's a big one. My number two yep. is I'm from Tulsa. So Kane's ballroom is where I grew up listening to mm. music. Um, it's where I saw Cody Johnson for the first time. Um, I have got to play there once before I opened for Pat green doing an event for orange peel, which is through Oklahoma state, um, like providing scholarships and that kind of thing. So we did that and it was amazing. It was literally the, one of the coolest things I've ever done, but I will headline Kane's one day. I will. Take me back to Tulsa. Oh my gosh. I will. I will. And then my third one is I, since I was a kid, I've always had such a respect and a love for military. Um, I think that they are the coolest things on the planet and all that kind of stuff. So um, I always wanted to be in the army. Um, I tried, I talked to recruiters and stuff out of high school, um, but I have just like a disability that wouldn't allow me to do what I wanted to do in in that kind of field. So we went, I went with music and knew that I could, you know, provide myself with a platform where I could give back to veterans and current um, men and women of service. And so I want to play base camps. I want to play oh, yeah. touring base camps um, everywhere overseas. I just, I want to do that so bad. I grew up with a family friend. Her name's Miss Carrie. And um, she goes and she does like comedy skits. She's an actress. And so she does like comedy skits and stuff at base camps. Um, mm -hmm. And all these things and she's told me about it my, like her whole like my whole life growing up and i've always wanted to do it so that's a huge thing on my bucket list is to play base camps um one of the first shows i ever remember um was my dad played um what are they called i guess he played like an aircraft carrier for, mm. for a group of marines and it was i remember being on the boat i remember how cold it was it was so cold and i was so young but i just remember being surrounded by all of these soldiers who were just having the time of their life. And I don't know how often they get to do that in service. So um, ever since then, I, that's been a huge goal of mine. Anything you can do to brighten the days of those who, who serve our country, I think that's a, uh, a very noble and worthy pursuit. 
I'm so excited. So those are my three. Those are my three big ones. I like them. I like them. So this next question is going to be a bit of a loaded question now uh, as we look to the back half of 2020 and on into 2021. Uh, what's on the horizon for you? I know there's some dates that are posted on your website. A yeah. Any sense for how many of those are still holding up? And, and, so, and what's the next uh, six to nine months looking like for you? All of the everything on our website, um, whether you use bands in town or if you want to go directly to the Ali Colleen music website, um, it's on the tour tab. But everything that's on there right now is a go. So we've taken off everything that's canceled. Um, there's not a lot. I think we have two, maybe anywhere from like two to five travel shows for the rest of the year. Um, but we have a lot in Nashville, you know, as bars are opening up, we, you know, we're playing some sets and stuff like that. But unfortunately those aren't Allie Colleen shows. That's, that's where you're going to come and, and hear me sing covers for three hours and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But 2020 was our year to do the band for the first time. I was going to have a band for the first time and not play by myself. I've played by myself, just me and my guitar since I was 15. So um, we have band rehearsal next week. And we're getting ready for a show, you know, coming up in Ohio on the 18th. Um, it's literally so excited and all those kind of things. But you can keep up with our website. Um, we're very good at let, letting you know if things, you know, are scheduled to change or anything like that. So you can check it out. But we do have some releases planned. Um, so we're not really sure on the date. Um, a single life, a life, the life of a single for radio is about 16 to 18 weeks. So Ain't the Only Hell gets put out for radio on Monday. I'm so excited. It'll be my first song to radio. So that goes to radio on Monday. So call your stations, request it, please, please, please. Um, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, all that to say, hopefully about six, about eight to 12 weeks from the release date of Ain't the Only Hell, we will be putting out new music only to streaming. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful song called Best Friend. And it's just about um, the greatest relationship that I've ever been in, but also the worst Um the hook of the song is nobody breaks a heart like a best friend. And it's just that love song that country music's been waiting on. You know, it's just literally that love song between you and, and your best friend, whoever it is, you know, like nothing romantic, nothing like that. And just what that feels like to lose that person. Um, and so that's going to come out this summer. And then we have um, this beautiful song that we kind of debuted a little bit on my bonus mom's cooking show. A couple weeks ago, I got to be on Trisha's Southern kitchen and I got to be on her cooking show on the Food Network. And at the very end of it, we sang a duet together. Mind you, no. Trish and I have never sang together in our lives. No Everybody thought, like, everyone thinks that we kumbaya at home all day long. I've never sang with my dad. Like, never done any of that stuff. So to get to sing with Trisha was really special. But anyway, long story short, we gave you guys just a taste of the song called Wallflower. Um, that I think is going to be a, a very big song for Allie Colleen. I mean, I'm all about flowers, obviously. And um, there's so much rooted in my family with this song that I just love. And so um, there's two releases, if not three, there might be a bonus one. Um, and, and that kind of thing before summer's up or before we really get into fall. So we're really excited about new music um, just because shows are so up in the air on whether they're going to happen or not. We're focusing more on content for the rest of 2020. Uh, how was that cooking show? How, what was that experience like? Oh, it was so much fun. I got to be on it once before when I was a kid, but dad was always so, so good about um, like never 
publishing us in any kind of way. You know, you couldn't find photographs of us unless it was like soccer in the local newspaper or something like that. So um, he let us be on the show a long time ago for a Halloween episode. And me and my sister, one of my sisters couldn't do it. She was off at college. But me and my, one of my older sisters, were all KISS. So me and Trisha and a friend of hers and my sister were all the members of KISS. And I look horrific. So to get to be on it again and be cute was really fun. Um, we did a father's day episode, so we kind of revamped all the stuff that my dad made for me as a kid. And it was really, really fun. Now, are you handy in the kitchen yourself? I'm pretty handy in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan's giving me a thumbs up over here. So <laughs> there you go. I'm pretty good at it. But, um, it, I don't think it's a family thing so much. I feel like once Trisha kind of came into our family and showed us all what it was like to eat vegetables and, like, you know, cook really good food and all that stuff. We all just sat back and let Trisha cook. Um, so I, I've more learned as a wife and as being in college and that kind of stuff, how to cook and those kind of things. And I'm pretty good at yeah. it. So what else do you like to do when you get away from music? Is there a time getting away from music? <sighs> kind of. Kind of not really. A lot of our hobbies, we take music too. So um, I've got horses and we ride as often as we can. Um, and sometimes I'll even take my guitar on my horses, you know, and I've got this little guitar. His name's river. He's about the size of a ukulele, but he's still a six string. So I, I ride on him sometimes. We'll take him on the kayak too. Um, and we'll go kayak in a lot. Um, I just love to be outdoors. Honestly. Um, if I am frustrated, I am my mother. So I'll go out and pick weeds in my flower bed. Um, those kind of things, nothing too exciting, but I love to be outside. We love kayaking. That's what we spend our most of our time doing during the summer. That's not music. Um, and I've got my dogs, which are my world. I love animals, all those kinds of things. Now, just uh, looking down the comments here, uh, Nicole is asking, will close enough go to Christian radio at some point? I don't know. We, so we put close enough out to YouTube and that's it. So close enough. You can't find it anywhere else. You can only find it on YouTube. We have not released a song to streaming. Um, we have talked about NEP for the fall, which I, uh -huh am blown away about i'm so excited and close enough will more than likely end up on that ep whether or not christian radio picks it up totally yeah. in radio but i don't yeah. know that close enough is ever a song that we will personally release as a single to radio um honestly mm -hmm. nicole like we talked about earlier as stupid as it sounds to say with the business i don't know if we will have the money to put close enough out to radio when there's a much better contemporary country song to pay for to go to radio um, but if it ever picked it up, oh my gosh, you can have whatever life it is. We're hoping that it has a life kind of like Thy Will that Hillary Scott put out that sure. was charting on both Christian charts and country charts um, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, so I think it would have a life like that, I'm hoping. Uh -huh. So before we get out of here this week, I want to talk to you about the new single, Ain't the Only Hell My Mom Ever Raised. You, you talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, tell us a bit about how that song came out. Now, if you get on the website right now and you're just poking around on the website, that thing auto fires on you. And, and so you get to hear it right away. It's got a great groove to it. Great sound. I love that. I love that. Um, it does. It has such a cool groove. My, um, I have a couple friend in town and they're called Joe and Martina. They're, they're a duo. They're married. They're amazing. They have amazing country music. They just put out a single with John Barry called give me back the nineties. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but so Joe, produced this song for me so that was really special for me and i think that's why this song is the most alley song that we've released so far was because my producer knew knew me you know so well and so he was able to get it just far enough from kind of what i imagined it would be 
and just, but just close enough to who I am. So that was so cool because it's a, it's a pretty rocking track. Like it's, it's got a lot going on. Um, there's literally so many tracks, like literal tracks on it, as far as the mixing process went that I didn't expect. So it's all booming. But as far as the songwriting goes, it was one of those days where my friend Carlene came over and we we're playing around on guitar and she gave me this melody that I loved. And we kind of, you know, piddled around with the first verse. And at one point, I just kind of um, kept giving her drinks and quit writing because I knew exactly what I, I wanted the song to be about. So this was kind of one of those songs that I selfishly just partied with Carlene all night and then text her the next day and goes, hey, I know exactly what I want to write about with this melody. Can I use it? And she's like, absolutely. So Carlene has all the writer's credits for the for the melody. And then I have um, all the writer's credits for the lyrics. But it's just about my mama. And it was just one of those songs where I just wanted to write by myself about my mama. My mom has this iconic photo of herself um, in this bikini top and like an Ace Hardware little wrap around, you know, gardening tool thing, sitting on a zero turn lawnmower. And I'd seen the picture a thousand times, but there was something different about this time. I looked at the picture and I saw the woman that my mom was before she was a mom, you know, and, and for a lot of women, those are drastically different. You know, there's so many hats and so many roles that moms just have to jump into once they're going to be a mom. And I think that's one of the prettiest things about mothers is they just, they leave so much behind and they sacrifice everything. And, and so I got to see for the first time who my mama was before I was here, you know, and before my sisters were here. And so that's all the first verse. And then the chorus um, is a little tongue in cheek because as I was talking with my mom about the second verse and asking her what all she used to do, I was like, mom, give me the lowdown on your most untold moments. Like, I want to know what they are. And she talked about Cavalcade, which is the largest amateur rodeo in the world. And it's in Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Um, she talked about Tumbleweeds, which is this venue in Stillwater, Oklahoma, um, which is a college town. So it's kind of like your college spot everybody goes to. I personally have never been old enough living in Oklahoma to go to Tumbleweeds. So I've still never been. It's, that's a bucket list thing for me, too. It's like not only play Tumbleweeds, but just go and party. But anyway, all this to say, when my mama and I were talking about what she used to do, my brain in the back back here just kept going, this is all stuff that I was never allowed to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that that chorus hits and it's all about how, you know, you can't expect me to learn from something I've never tried, you know, and it's all about how I am the hell-raising woman I am because my mom was a hell-raising woman um, and that kind of thing. But to be honest, I got the idea from a boutique shirt. I saw some girl walking around with I ain't the only hell my mama raised on it. And I was like, yep, I'm going to take that. That's going to be mine. <laughs> So that's where the idea came from. But when I saw that photograph, I knew exactly because I'd had the hook in my phone for like almost a year or two. Never knew how to write it, had thrown it out in a couple of rights and nobody really grabbed onto it. And I was like, OK. And then once I saw that photograph, just in a different light, the song just kind of came to be. So, again, Nicole, songwriting, always different. Sometimes you have an idea and you won't write it for three years. But this is mine. This is what we came up with. So what did your mother think about the finished product? Oh, she just cries, that woman, that sweet lady. She just cries. No matter what it is, honestly, she just cries. But to be honest, and we actually haven't we haven't told this to anyone yet, Brent. So this is your Easter egg that you have. There we go. The song has a different second verse originally written. And it was and it had my dad in it, just because um my mom and my dad met at Tumbleweeds and that kind of thing. So it just it references dad for a short second. Um, and I just felt like if 
my mom's always had to share a little spotlight with dad, you know? And so I was like, we just talked about it as a, as a family. And, and we decided that this was going to be my mom's song. So we rewrote the second verse. And when my mom heard the second, second verse, she just lost it. And I think it was really one of the first times that she got to be Sandy, you know, opposed to somebody's, you know, ex-wife or anything like that. So the song was so special for me to get to bring to my mom and play for her. And um, I can just see she's so proud every time she hears it. And it's so special for me. My mom is my biggest fan. If she's not, my dad is. And if he's not, my bonus mom is. Like I have very supportive parents and everything. So getting to write this song for both, having both of my, my moms in mind was really special for me. That's beautiful. Will you play for us? Absolutely. You guys can find this song anywhere you listen to music. Um, but it goes like this. I'm very loud too. So watch out, you guys. Oh, and she had ten legs for days. Soaking up them summer rays on a grasshopper zero turn. She wore a Budweiser bikini top, and it made my heart stop. Looking into a photograph, and my mama looking back. She was the same age that I am now. So beautiful, so young and proud. You can't expect me to learn from something I ain't even tried. Now I ain't afraid to crash and burn, just wanna live while I'm alive. I got her blood in my veins, I ain't the only
Awesome. And I hope everybody who is watching that and listening to the song will uh, uh, reach out to your radio stations and uh, anybody that'll listen and make sure that they're playing that music because it's what country music needs right now. A hundred percent. So if folks want to know more about you, want to follow your career, want to find out tour dates, buy merch, download music, where do they go? Um, you can find me at Allie Colleen Music. Um, literally anywhere, basically. That's kind of my handle for everything. Allie Colleen Music. Um, my website's AllieColleenMusic.com. I think the only one that is different is Twitter. And nobody reads my tweets, but it's underscore Allie Colleen. You guys can find me anywhere. Uh, retweet that stuff. Share it. Get it out there. Pu- push the word out there. Uh, so, so that we can help grow her career. And Allie, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and, and, and taking you. the time to share your music with us and your story with us. And we hope you come back. Hopefully we can do this live one of these days. Uh, in, in I, hope so. I hope so. I'd love to. So, yeah, let's, let's do it. And we'll work on uh, Chris Stapleton in the meantime, and we'll work on the black Mambas That's in the good. meantime here. I love that. Brent, thank can... you so much for all your time. Thank you for having me and thank you for putting all this together and working as hard as you do. Thank you. Uh, glad, glad to do it. Again, we want to make sure we send a special shout out to our friends at the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Those guys are open back up for business right now. And they got a great selection of vinyl and CDs and merch. And if they can't get it for you there, if they can't find it, they'll definitely get it for you. So make sure that you go down and check them out. They've got some different hours right now. So pay attention here. Open Sunday through Thursday, 10 to 6. Friday and Saturday from 10 to 10. So stop by and say hi to uh, everybody down there and tell them you heard it here on Fast Line Fast Track. Also want to say a special shout out to my friends at Farm Life. Thank you for your support of Fast Line Fast Track. And we've got some big things in the work with our friends at uh, Farm Life here that you're going to be hearing about real soon. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Go over and give them a like on Facebook so you can connect with other people who are interested in agriculture. And as we found out through this pandemic, even if you're not a farmer or rancher, a lot of people now all of a sudden care about where their food came from. You know, Uh, they care about where their clothes came from. They care about where their uh, toilet paper came from. So make sure that uh, uh, that, that you can uh, check all that stuff out there with our friends at Farm Life. So also don't forget, if you're in agriculture, head on over to FastLine.com. Check out our equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. And that's at FastLine.com. And while you're there, hey, don't forget to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. You know, uh, you don't have to drive into town to the convenience store. Pick one up off the rack. You can get it right to your mailbox. Uh, Find all your farm equipment needs right there in the FastLine catalog. And it's still a favorite of farmers and ranchers around this great United States of America. So check that out. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fast Line Fast Track podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. And as we talked about earlier, make sure that you add that Spotify playlist to your library from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show, including uh, Miss Allie Colleen. We'll make sure we have her music on there. And uh, make sure that uh, you, you go listen to that. Over 200 songs on that thing now and just some incredible country music, true traditional country music. 
uh, the, the kind that everybody needs to be hearing more of. So check that out. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And take note, uh, starting next week, we're going to go all through the summer into uh, fall. It's going to be 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on Thursday nights. We've got a jam-packed uh, lineup and a special shout out to, to, to your publicist, uh, one of the best in the business, Bev Moser. Who uh, has helped get us loaded up for this summer? So she does everything uh, she, for me. She's awesome. She was cleaning out the storehouses here, and we're we're, we're overflowing here. It's going to be fun this summer. So I hope you'll come back for all those. We've got a few other surprises lined up here for the summer, but uh, we're going to get out of here for now. Let Allie get on to her uh, her uh, next gig here, and uh, we're we're going to jump off here. But I hope you come back and see us next week. But for now, it's Brent Adams for Allie Colleen. Come back soon and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.